From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the broadcast, dear friends. Before we uh, roll out another uh, fine program, just an alert once again, richardserrett.com, the website, your portal to The Conspiracy Show, uh, has been uh, hijacked, hacked uh, for the second time in, uh, in about a month. So until further notice... RichardSerrett.com will remain down uh, until I can redesign it, revamp it, relaunch it. So look for an all-new and improved RichardSerrett.com coming your way just as soon as I uh, possibly can get that going again. Not sure exactly you know, who the, uh, the people are responsible if you, uh, if you try to log on to RichardSerrett.com. I don't even want to mention their names, uh, but they, they, they seem to take great pride in doing this, uh, you know, hacking into people's websites. However, uh, we remain undaunted. Nothing going to slow me down. I think I've made it pretty clear over the, uh, the years I've been doing this program uh, that I believe, I am certain, that there exists a spirit realm, a realm that is inhabited by angels and demons. And I say that, I suppose, at some risk, to my reputation, some might think that the uh, the notion that someone might still believe in such things in, in, in 2013 is, I don't know, quaint, bizarre, odd. That's fine. I'm willing to accept the, those, those labels. That's not going to dissuade me. One of the things that nailed it home for me was a trip down to Yonkers, New York, a couple of years ago, where I met a board-certified psychiatrist who is on the uh, the faculty of Columbia University, a graduate of Harvard, as I say, a board-certified uh, psychologist by the name of Dr. Richard Gallagher. And I met him at a, a seminary down in uh, Yonkers where he's on the faculty, and he told me about what he concluded was an authentic case of demonic possession, the possession of a woman he called Julia. He went on to explain why he was led to this conclusion after ruling out all other sorts of mental illnesses and psychoses and so forth. A chilling account. And he managed for me to speak with the priest from New York City, who remains anonymous to this day. One night, anyway, at home, I received a phone call from this priest who... uh, warned me, first of all, that if I was going to start investigating these sorts of things, I might be welcoming, let's say, some undue attention from the dark side, if you will. And he proceeded to say a prayer for me. He said, I'm going to say this prayer before we start talking about this as a a means of protection. Anyway, this priest verified everything that Dr. Gallagher had told me and that he had presided over the exorcism of this Julia, had witnessed her speaking in strange tongues in other languages, He witnessed her levitation. I could go on and on for hours uh, uh, and and tell you about what I learned from Dr. Richard Gallagher about uh, this case. Um, But it was, for me, just further confirmation that although exceedingly rare, I do believe there are instances where people are possessed by demons. And that's where we're going to go for the next hour. We're going to try and uh, talk about some credible cases of demonic possession. And then you can sit back and and listen and either choose to ignore or refuse to believe that this sort of thing is possible, demonic possession. Um, In any event, you'll make up your own mind. We're going to talk about the Pat Reading case, which took place, 
I guess starting out nearly 30 years ago in a, uh, a small town in Connecticut. And um, to help us in this regard is our very own in-house paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, one of the leading experts on the paranormal, with more than 50 books now published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is now translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting and teaching. Her present work focuses on interdimensional entities, contact experiences of all kinds, technological and mediumistic spirit communication, spiritual growth and development, problem hauntings, and portals or geographic areas of intense paranormal activity. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Hi, Richard. I'm doing very well. I just got back from a week in Sedona, Arizona, where I was doing a lot of research for several book projects. It was um, quite an exciting, packed week. And I, I hope I'm not telling tales out of class, but I believe you are now working on a book on this very topic we're about to, to dive into tonight, and that is demonic possessions. Well, it's certainly related to that. I'm doing a third book focusing on the jinn and their role in these types of problems. Uh, some of the, the jinn are very hostile to us. They can act like demons, and they can cause possessions. So I'm uh, featuring some of my cases that I've followed for a long period of time, and uh, I was out in Sedona interviewing other experts on uh, gin hauntings and possessions, and also studying the vortices of energy out there in Sedona. That's another project I'm doing on portal areas, you know, the places where we tend to have all kinds of contact with otherworldly beings, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Let's talk about the uh, the Pat uh, reading uh, case in Connecticut. Uh, take us back, uh, I guess, the, what, the early 1980s, about 30 years ago? Yes, that's about when it started. This is a case that uh, John Zaffis worked on, and uh, John is a leading demonologist, very good friend of mine who lives not too far from me in Connecticut. And uh, John has documented this case very well, and he and I are working on a book about it. It's one of the more unusual possession cases. Possession runs the gamut uh, from cases that are very easily resolved to cases that are really pernicious and last for a long time and destroy lives and families. And unfortunately, the Pat Reading case falls into that. What's more, this case also stands out as an unusual example of no known good reason for this to happen. Uh, there are occasionally cases where people who have not been uh, inviting contact with dark entities, uh, have led good and virtuous lives, have had uh, no drug or alcohol issues or uh, mental issues that might make them vulnerable, they suddenly fall prey to the demonic. And their lives literally go from normal to living in a hell. And that's what happened to Pat Reading. She was in her mid-50s in the 1980s, was living a happy and quiet life with her husband, Bill, her daughter, Michelle, uh, in uh, western Connecticut. And uh, one day, she was a Catholic woman um, and was, you know, looking after her family, um, you know, a nice person. One day, she was outside hanging her laundry and... Uh, suddenly this force came up behind her and pushed her and literally pushed her to the ground. 
and she experienced then the unpleasantness of entity sexual rape. Uh, she was, um, her clothing was taken off from her waist down. She had a full rape experience with this uh, horrible uh, being, and it left her rather bloody. The police were called. Uh, she could not provide a description, of course, of the assailant and just made comments like, uh, you know, you will never find it. She was very dazed. And that's what started this. Uh, from then on, she was targeted by some dark, invisible force that uh, acted out against her in a very aggressive, hostile way and started plaguing the family. It just literally moved in and created all sorts of uh, haunting phenomena, wrappings, bumps, nightmares, shadow figures, poltergeist effects. The effect on Pat was a progression that we see in demonic possession cases. First, it starts with um, phenomena and aggressive acts towards someone. Then the, the person experiences a takeover where they feel their thoughts and emotions taken over, their behavior changes, their personality changes, and then pretty soon this entity has full control of them. That's what happened to Pat. Now, Michelle, her daughter, uh, witnessed, I guess, a number of these uh, attacks and at one point tried to intervene, did she not? And then she herself was attacked? Yes. Michelle was about 15 when these attacks started. And uh, as, as you can imagine, it was pretty traumatic for a teenage daughter to witness her mother going through this. As this entity, and actually it turned out to be a, a collection of entities, that's often the case where it's more than one uh, demon involved in this. Um, Pat would have blackouts. They would take her over. She would have blackouts, collapse on the floor, crawl around on all fours, uh, swear, blaspheme. Um, and uh, when one of these episodes started, um, Michelle, who uh, in, th in this particular case, she was old enough to drive. Uh, this was deeper on into the case. Uh, there's a, a shrine in Connecticut to uh, Lourdes, and uh, it's a very holy place. And uh, Michelle thought that if she could only get her mother there to this, this holy shrine, uh, she would be relieved of these symptoms. So she really wrestled her into the car, and her mother felt like she weighed 10 times more than she did. She was a small, petite woman. And while Michelle was physically trying to help her mother, then this thing started attacking Michelle as well, punching her and pushing her. Uh, she was able to get her there to the shrine, but uh, not without being assaulted herself. All right, listen, we've got to take a, t a quick time out. Rosemary Ellen Guiley here talking about demonic possession, the Pat Reading case. We'll also open up the lines. Do you believe in demonic possession and the right of exorcism? I'm back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740. Uh, this year marks the 40th anniversary of John Frankenheimer's The Exorcist, a movie that many consider to be the scariest movie of all time. Uh, and it is... Um, based on a true case, a real case of demonic possession, I believe. 
uh, now in the movie, of course, Linda Blair uh, plays the victim, but uh, the, the actual case was not uh, of, of a young girl. It was a young boy, a 13-year-old boy who has been identified uh, by the initial R. Uh, this was a case that took place uh, in Maryland, uh, not too far from Washington. Uh, and uh, there were some 26 people uh, in attendance during his exorcisms and uh, all tell you know very remo- you know similar uh, stories about the horrible things that they witnessed again uh, superhuman strength uh, uh, he was asked this boy was asked uh, in Latin by the uh, the exorcist of father Hughes uh, who has spoken publicly about this now father Hughes asked the boy in Latin who are you and the boy responded I am legions for those of you of course familiar with the New Testament uh, will be uh, We'll know what that means, of course. Jesus Christ performed exorcisms and uh, asked um, the victim of a demonic possession, who are you? And that's that was the response he received. I am legions. So uh, here we are, the 40th... Oh, and incidentally, the film, The Exorcist, was, uh, was made not too far from here, in uh, Georgetown, less than an hour away from, uh, from where I'm sitting right now. Now, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us uh, to tell us about another... A credible case of demonic possession. That would be the Pat Reading case, which took place in the uh, early 1980s. Uh, an unassuming uh, mother, housewife, living in a small town in, in western Connecticut, and uh, suddenly in her mid 50s, uh, attacked, raped by some unseen dark force. Uh, now, you mentioned her daughter Michelle trying to get her to this shrine in Connecticut, which is dedicated to. Uh, Lords, of course, the healing waters of uh, in Lords, France, uh, well known to many people. What happened when she finally got her there? She was able to get her calmed down. Uh, sometimes these episodes would just run their course and subside. And um, o- over the course of a little more than ten years, uh, Pat was put through sixteen exorcisms to try and expel these entities who resisted identifying themselves. That's one of the things that the exorcist tries to do is get the name of the possessing spirit or spirits, which gives them uh, a measure of control over the entities. Uh, Now, Pat was examined by uh, medical uh, experts and was determined not to have any physical or mental conditions that could account for these episodes. She didn't use drugs or alcohol? She didn't yeah, use she drugs or alcohol. Did not drink. Did did not uh, use any drugs. It's very important to rule those things out. Uh, that there are no natural causes for this. Now, according to the teachings of the church, possession possession usually happens when humans provide an opportunity for dark forces to enter their lives. They might be engaged in certain occult activities, like uh, trying to conjure spirits to get them to do their bidding. Uh, they might be leading what the church would call a sinful life, that is, in, you know, engaging in uh, immoral or illegal activities. Um, they might have been cursed, for example. Uh, but there was no known cause for this in Pat's case. We do see that in, in a handful of cases. The, the church explains them as, well, these people were uh, selected uh, by God to to serve as an example of what can happen to even the pure. Uh, and so we must always be on guard against uh, the dark forces. So 
uh, over a period of time, uh, Pat deteriorated under these continual onslaughts, and uh, John Zappas was called in very early on in her affliction. Uh, she did contact uh, church people, and a priest brought a seminarian student uh, to do a blessing in the house. And uh, the, the student was scared away when he opened his bag with his holy objects. He had holy water and uh, a cross and some other implements, uh, his, his um, Bible and whatnot. The bottle of holy water levitated up out of the bag, and it frightened him so badly that he ran out, out of the house and wouldn't even do the blessing. My word. John Zappas was called in, and he followed the case for a long a period of time and uh, brought in uh, a bishop, a Catholic bishop, a bishop by the name of uh, uh, Reverend McKenna, um, Robert McKenna. And he was uh, able to uh, work on Pat doing these exorcisms. It's not uncommon in possession cases for multiple exorcisms to have to take place before uh, the entities are uh, eliminated. And and just, in that case... So I'm just going to say, Rosemary, just, you know, people uh, maybe have this misconception that, you know, the Catholic Church is running around performing exorcisms everywhere. This is not something that they, you know, they like to talk about, but they do have, um, you know, sort of a, a bench of exorcists ready to go, but there's a, a rigorous process, from what I understand, that they go through before they, you know, agree to perform or take a uh, perform an exorcism or take a case on. What do you know about sort of what um, uh, what one has to go through in order to, I guess, gain acceptance um, by the Catholic Church or, or or become a candidate for an exorcism? Is it is it a lengthy process? It can be. Uh, the Church expects natural causes to be examined first. Uh, the person might have to undergo medical examination, maybe even psychiatric examinations, to satisfy the, uh, the conditions that natural causes can be ruled out beyond reasonable doubt. And there is a chain of command that um, the, uh, the priests follow, too, that uh, the requests go up the line, and um, the permission to do an exorcism ha- has to come from uh, from high up. And um, not all priests are familiar with uh, how to do exorcisms. Um, in fact, some of them may never even uh, come in contact with a demonic case throughout their entire career. There are others like um, uh, Bishop McKenna, who... Um, take on cases on a more independent basis. He's not doing them anymore because he's rather advanced in age, but he did work with some lay demonologists like uh, John's uncle, Ed Warren, and his wife, Lorraine Warren, and uh, some others in the uh, the Northeast area on some rather famous cases. Um, there are less strict procedures in uh, other denominations, and uh, there are varying techniques the, the Catholic Church uh, has a, rit- a ritual for um, exercising a home. There are house exorcisms, and there's another ritual for exercising people. And uh, these procedures became fairly standardized from about the 17th century on. 
including the procedures and the requirements for the exorcists themselves. And the church has modified those uh, throughout um, the centuries. In other denominations, uh, the requirements vary considerably and, and are less strict. And uh, they might be called deliverance uh, as well as exorcism. There are uh, a number of techniques. Well, Pat, uh, when she would ha have these full-blown possession attacks, and that's what happens to the victims, is they might have uh, long gaps between a sudden onset where the, the entity seems to be in full control uh, and uh, they will have blackouts and uh, aberrant behavior, uh, acting like an animal, howling and screaming. And during an exorcism, their behavior can be quite extreme as well. Well, Pat would have, she was a tiny little woman, and she would have to be strapped down uh, into a chair and held down by several people because she would have this superhuman strength, which is a characteristic of possession. She would flail and uh, pull at her restraints. She was even able to free herself from some of these restraints. Uh, she screamed and and gave out on these unearthly shrieks and howls. Um, foul language is, is a part of these episodes, uh, blaspheming, uh, calling people four-letter words and... Um, that, uh, you know, the religion is not going to do anything, uh, God is not going to be able to, uh, to get rid of them, you know, things like that. Speaking in tongues and foreign languages. Did she actually speak? Is it, is it documented that she spoke in other languages that she wouldn't have had knowledge of? It is, and I'm not sure how many uh, were involved, but she did have those episodes. And uh, she exhibited all the classic signs that, that the church considers to be a demonstration of demonic possession. How about levitation? Did she herself levitate at any point off the bed? Or, um, Well, in many of these cases of levitation, it's very brief. And it's not like the film show where people are like floating up over their bed. But what often happens is that in the, the throes of... Um, exhibiting this, this wild behavior and supernormal strength, they can actually raise themselves up and sometimes even their chairs uh, up off the, the, the floor uh, for these brief bursts. And uh, she did have that as well. Uh, the she had horrible blackouts. What about uh, uh, physical marks on her body? For, for example, the, you know, the famous uh, scene in, in the movie The Exorcist, uh, where Linda Blair's character has, uh, I believe it says, help me, as if it's being branded onto her chest. This cry for help in, deep inside her body, as if she's trapped in there. Uh, were any of those types of marks uh, evident or present on, on, on Pat reading? She did exhibit bruises and scratches, and that's very common, where uh, long claw-like uh, red marks uh, that may even go quite deep uh, and even bleed will show up on a body uh, without explanation. And she did have some of those phenomena as well. Uh, one of the uncanny things that happened to her husband, and this was early on in the case, uh, she gave him a warning one morning uh, to be careful at work. Now, he was um, a construction worker. He dealt with uh, power lines along the highways. He worked on a lot of highway construction. 
and he was handling some power lines later that day when um, the, the line went live, and uh, his coworkers didn't realize that he was still holding on to, to this uh, power line, and he was badly burned by electricity. He did have a heart condition, and over time it, um, it seemed to weaken him. Uh, he wasn't seriously injured at the time. He was taken to the hospital, but it did have a long-term effect on his health, and uh, um, it w- seemed to be one of the episodes related to the possession, that is to torment the family members as well. Uh, they were not subjected to the same possession phenomena as Pat. Uh, the entities seemed to zero in on one person as their target. Uh what happened, uh, I mean, ultimately to, to Pat Reading? Uh, I mean, she underwent something like 15 or 16, I believe it was 16 exorcisms. Uh, did she ever, she did. was she ever freed from this? Not entirely. Um, she really dealt with it for the rest of her life, and she died around the end of 2004. She developed colon cancer, uh, and uh, this is not uncommon for victims of these horrible possession cases to uh, to develop some sort of uh, serious health issues. They are so depleted, so worn down by um, these attacks that it does affect them. Now, um, the exorcisms would bring her temporarily re- temporary relief, but never permanent relief. And uh, she, after 16 exorcisms, she she did arrive at um, a period of, um, I wouldn't call it relief, but she wasn't under serious attack anymore, but she like lived on the edge because uh, she knew at any moment something could come back. The uh, possessing entities never really identified themselves satisfactorily. Uh, first they said they uh they describe themselves as seven horns of the ten devils. Uh, when pressed to give a name, they uh, evaded that. And one finally said its name was Robert. Nobody knew who Robert was. Um, and uh, they said uh, that there were ten of them. Then they said there were nine of them. They kept giving different answers. Okay, listen, we'll take a time out here, uh, Rosemary. When we come back, I'll get um, your thoughts on what might have actually happened to uh, Pat Reading. And then, time permitting, we'll we'll talk about another uh, famous case of uh, demonic possession uh, in Germany back in the 1950s and uh, right through to 1976, I believe. Uh, We'll also open the lines and ask people about their thoughts on the likelihood that demonic possession is a real phenomenon. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show in conversation with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740. And we are talking about uh, demonic possession with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Her website is visionaryliving.com. We've been discussing the the Pat Reading case, which took place about 30 years ago in uh, a small town in Connecticut, 
uh, Pat Reading passed away about 10 years ago. Her daughter as well, and her husband, all, all, all of them now gone. Uh, what happened to her daughter? Well, her daughter just died this year. She was 40 years old, and uh, she passed away in her sleep. And um, uh, I never met Pat. I got involved in um, working on the documentation of this case after she had passed. But I did meet Michelle, uh, who was a lovely woman, and uh, had her own story to tell uh, from her perspective in this episode as well. And uh, it's, no one really knows, uh, or at least no one has said exactly what, what happened to her. She was on a variety of, of medications, and it's possible that uh, she may have accidentally um, you know, taken too much of something, uh, but passed away in her sleep in July. Very sad. And, uh, and uh, Bill, the husband uh, of Pat Reading, also dead. Yes, he died several years ago. So um, they're all uh, they're all gone now, and uh, John made a promise to Pat uh, before she died that uh, that he would tell her story, and uh, so that's what we're working on now, and and it's a way of honoring her life as well. What do you think happened to Pat Reading, Rosemary? You know, I've looked at this case from a variety of perspectives too, because the first inclination is think is to think that well, come on, there must be some reason why this happened. Uh, was there something in her personality uh, that just didn't come to light? But uh, there just doesn't seem to be any good explanation for it. Uh, so maybe she was one of these examples that the church says, um, you know, happens uh, as uh, a warning to, to other people. You know, say, they say that some people sacrifice themselves um, as uh, a way of teaching others that we can never let our guard down against the dark side. And her case does have some similarities to the case that you just mentioned from Germany, the Annalise Michelle case, uh, because she, too, didn't seem to have any good reason for becoming possessed. And uh, she went through a horrific experience for several years before dying in her mid-20s in 1976. She died during a prolonged exorcism, did she not? She did. She was quite emaciated, and uh, her actual cause of death was diagnosed as due to starvation. She was uh, a skeleton by the time she died. Um, Her problem started uh, when she was uh, a teenager, and uh, like many of these cases, it, it starts first with um, some mental oppression. She had visions of demonic uh, faces. She um, she was a hypersensitive, uh, kind of sickly girl anyway from childhood. Um, but she had a blackout, uh, that, and that's what started uh, her episode. She had a blackout uh, in school um, in 1968, and then began to suffer seizures, feelings of suffocation. Um, Her parents took her to a doctor um, to see if she was having a neurological problem. She was prescribed various medications, but her real problem seemed to be spiritual, and uh, this invasion of these demonic faces and images and um, uh, oppressive presences began a takeover of her, and her personality changed. Um, she started exhibiting the uh, the symptoms of possession, 
uh, and uh, by the by the time she died, she could barely eat. Uh, she would act like an animal. Uh, she would do horrible things like urinate on the floor and then uh, lick it up. Uh, she would eat abnormal things, claw at the walls, bite the walls, uh, howl. Uh, she went through multiple exorcisms herself. Well, the, the twist in that case was after she died, the uh, two of the, uh, the priests who were involved in the exorcisms and her parents were charged with um, negligent homicide. Uh, and the case was was brought against them that um, her death could have been prevented, that she'd been allowed to deteriorate when uh, she should have been perhaps put on um, you know some sort of intubation for um, for nourishment. Uh, there was a trial, and uh, the charges were dropped against the um, uh, t- two of the doctors involved. Um, People elevated her to sainthood, uh, and in fact, um, people began channeling her from the grave. Uh, pilgrims would go and, and visit at her gravesite. Uh, a nun who was channeling her from the grave predicted that uh, she had become a saint, and if they dug her body up, they would find it uh, incorrupt. Her parents had the body dug up, and it was badly decomposed. And uh, but this didn't stop the faithful people said that um, her body was actually incorrupt and this was a false story. Um, all four of the defendants were found guilty, her parents and, uh, and the other two were found guilty of negligent homicide. All right, I've got to take a time and out, uh, Rosemary. Uh, stay with us and we'll come back and continue to talk about demonic possession here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, Earlier I mentioned my trip down to uh, Yonkers, uh, New York, where I interviewed uh, Dr. Richard Gallagher, board-certified psychiatrist, uh, who uh, who I uh, spoke to about what he believes is an authentic case of demonic possession, uh, a woman named Julia. And I just wanted to share this uh, story with you uh, quickly, Rosemary, uh, and, and listeners, before we continue on uh, talking about other cases. But uh, Gallagher told me that uh, he was on the phone with the uh, the priest who performed the exorcism, uh, or who was about to perform the exorcism, and um, they're chatting back and forth. They're both at remote locations uh, somewhere in the state of New York, when all of a sudden, this woman Julia's voice is on the phone as if she had picked up an extension and started joining in on the conversation but being, you know, speaking uh, in a very rude manner. Uh, and when Gallagher is telling me this, he was visibly shaken uh, remembering this experience. Imagine you're talking on the phone and all of a sudden this discarnate voice, this disembodied voice is there on the phone with you. Uh, I mean, what do you make of that? Well, it's not out of the realm of possibility because all sorts of incredible phenomena can manifest in a possession case and even even in a negative haunting i've witnessed some very strange things myself and i've had lots of interference uh, on the telephone uh, when i'm i'm dealing with these cases i've never had a discarnate 
voice break in and carry on a conversation, but I have had voices in the background, including uh, demonic laughs and chuckles and uh, all kinds of interfering static noises, whistling, chirping, clicking, um, whatever it is that, uh, that acts out in this manner, uh, demons, jinn, uh, negative entities, they are capable of um, doing these sorts of things. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, Bishop McKenna, who um, uh, performed exorcisms on Pat Reading, and uh, McKenna was involved in another exorcism, I believe this time uh, exercising a house uh, in, 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 in rural Pennsylvania. Was it the, the, the Smurl House, the haunting, uh, the Smurl haunting? Yes, and that happened in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, or near Wilkesbury, actually, West Pittston. And uh, that was also in the 1980s. We seem to have a wave of these things in, in the 1980s. Uh, that case was handled also by Ed and Lorraine Warren and became uh, a media sensation. And uh, it, it started with uh, a family that uh, moved into a duplex. And they were an ordinary family. They had some kids, and um, they bought this uh, duplex um, and moved in with their two daughters, and um, they were there for some time before strange things started happening. Now, they moved in in, um, let's see, it was around the early 1970s, and it was a couple years later by the time stuff started to happen, and it, it started with things that they couldn't explain, like stains appearing on the carpet. Um, then the, the husband, Jack, said is Television sets just inexplicably caught on fire. They had leaky pipes. Uh, Then they started seeing shadowy figures. It became more and more demonic. There were uh, disturbances with their appliances. And uh, these phenomena escalated over time until the family got to be quite terrorized. Phantom dogs, noises, um, things being thrown around. Uh, the husband claimed to, to have been raped by a succubus kind of entity. So they called in uh, various people to help them out, and that included the Warrens. And the Warrens brought in uh, Bishop McKenna. And he did two exorcisms on the house, which did not seem to help. And that uh, also is uh, not uncommon for, for exorcisms to uh, only provide temporary relief. Things got so bad that that uh, the Smurl family eventually moved out, and uh, a book and a movie resulted from that haunting. Uh, so, what do you make of that case? I mean, I understand that, uh, that there was um, uh, an investigation. I'm not sure if it was the folks from the Center for Inquiry, uh, and they came up with some, I guess, less than supernatural type explanations for what was going on. Well, there were requests. For uh, some of the, um, they were skeptical investigators, yes, uh, and some of them came from the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. Uh, they go by the acronym PSYCOP, and uh, they're in New York State. And uh, that would be our good they, friend Joe Nickel, would it not? Yes, he he is affiliated with them. Well, they requested uh, permission to conduct their own investigation and also to examine some of the evidence that the Warrens said they had. They said they had um, video footage of manifestations, but they declined to show um, the evidence to the media. 
and uh, permission was denied. But um, they had some uh, possible explanations that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, they said that the, the swirls were delusional, uh, that uh, all of the horrible smells that happened in the house, and this is very common with possessions, and it happened in the Pat Reading case as well, foul smells like rotting meat and sewer smells. They said, well, there was just a broken sewer pipe somewhere around. Uh, they also... Uh, suggested that maybe the whole thing was due to pranks and that somehow the daughters might even be involved. Um, they also uh, suggested that uh, some of the phenomena were natural because there were abandoned mine tunnels in the area. And uh, we do see uh, in areas where there are um, tunnels and natural cave openings and things like that, that um, there is an increase in paranormal activity, but um, that's also tied to very old folklore that spirits use underground passages as a way of, of accessing uh, people and places. None of these explanations were satisfactory, and so we're, we're left with the evidence that the, the Smurls perhaps moved into uh, an area that had some latent uh, occupation. And um, this is also characteristic in hauntings, that uh, land itself can be haunted, and uh, the right people move in with um, the, the right energy, and it, it's like putting, uh, uh, you know, a, a match to, a, to tinder, you know, something ignites. And uh, the two girls were going through pu puberty, and sometimes that's related to um, explosions of paranormal activity as well. I've heard that, Rosemary, and I've never quite, I've never quite understood that, uh, um, um, girls going through puberty and poltergeist activity. What is the connection there? I've never understood that. It's been documented in parapsychology as um, naturally caused psychokinetic activity. And it has been determined to be the cause in, in other poltergeist cases. These are situations where objects, objects get thrown around uh, rather violently, where uh, people are attacked at night by in, um, invisible entities. And they have been tied to um, not only to puberty uh, for, in both males and females, but also to repressed emotions, intense repressed emotions like anger and frustration, and even uh, repressed sexuality. There was a famous case from the 30s investigated by uh, Nandor Fodor, who was a, a respected psychical research. It was a vampire case. It was called the Thornton Heath Vampire Case. And um, a woman claimed to be attacked by this demonic kind of entity that preyed upon her like a vampire. And uh, in his lengthy examination of the case, he, he felt it was really her um, repressed sexual um, tension that was being projected out into the physical environment. These cases often resolve when the, the people's emotions get resolved, and in the case of puberty, when the individuals get past pu puberty. But there's something about all of these roiling emotions within a person that in rare cases gets projected out into the environment and takes on kind of like a thought form activity all on its own. It's, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, uh, as you're saying all this, of the, the Salem witch trials and whether that may have been something at work there. 
It certainly could have been because the, the primary accusers were girls. And uh, they were girls who would have been on the verge of, uh, of puberty. And in fact, uh, some of them were even well into their teens. And um, they manifested phenomena. Uh, the evidence seems to indicate that they probably made a lot of it up as well. But they, they did manifest phenomena and hysterical behavior. And, um, you know, doctors were brought in and they couldn't find any known causes. Well, back in, in those times, in the late 1600s, uh, there was a great deal of fear about the work of the devil, and um, the, the pilgrims and the Puritans were constantly being preached at about uh, being in danger of, of um, being influenced by the devil. And so when no natural cause could be found for the girl's hysteria, uh, the, they automatically jumped to the conclusion that, that the devil had taken possession of them, and uh, that the there were people in the community who were witches and were, who were using witchcraft to uh, to summon these these evil forces into the community. Rosemary, what's the difference between? I mean, how do you know if you have um, a a garden variety, if I can use that term, ghost problem, or whether in fact you have a demon problem, or is there a difference? There is indeed a difference. I have come to the conclusion after, uh, you know, investigating many, many cases over, over the past 30 years that I've been in the field that most ghost hauntings are very benign. It's residual energy, uh, kind of an imprint, uh, stuff that's sort of left behind uh, life imprints by, by people who have invested a great deal of emotion and energy in a particular place. And when things become more active, when there seems to be a presence that acts out against people um, and seems to be intelligent and want to engage with people and have hostile, aggressive behavior toward individuals, we're not dealing with ghosts. We are dealing with spirits, entities, hostile entities. And sometimes they can masquerade as ghosts. They will take on forms that um, look like ghosts. Uh, we might think we're dealing with um, someone who used to live there and maybe died in a location. But um, these are very clever entities, and uh, they can take a range of, of identities. There's uh, the demonic uh, that we associate with the forces of evil. There are jinn who are supernatural entities, who uh, many of whom don't like people and uh, can take them over in possession. Fairies have been uh, blamed for, for possession cases in the past. Um, and there are a whole host of entities of varying dispositions and, and um, determinations that we would class as demonic, ranging from mischievous to the out-and-out -out evil, uh, that can play havoc in an environment and with individuals. All right, Rosemary. Well, uh, that's not something I would wish on my worst enemy. Uh, well, maybe I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, <laughs> uh, always a and pleasure. They, they can and they can and plague uh, the investigators as well. It's uh, very common for exorcists and investigators to uh, to be targets themselves just by investigating cases. Well, having said that, Rosemary, you be careful. I am all the time, Richard. All right, thank you, Rosemary. Have a good evening. We'll talk next month. Thank you very much, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. 
Just a quick note. Recently, I interviewed James DiEugenio talking about Kevin Costner as Jim Garrison. I mentioned Costner was a friend of George Bush. Jim just sent me a note. This comes from a friend of Kevin Costner's emailing me. Please correct the talk show host. For the record, Kevin is not a Republican, nor is he friends with George Herbert Walker Bush. He was invited to play golf with him a couple of times while they were both in the same city, but that's where it ends. All right. Kevin Costner, not a Republican, not friends with George Bush. Thanks, Tim Spreen. Back next week with Jim Mars, Nelson Thal, our big JFK 50th anniversary special. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.